Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at TumbleDye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to simulate the arc and tension of a three-act story within the framework of a tabletop RPG. You can find out more at www.tumbledie.com, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at TumbleDie, or Instagram. I so thoroughly enjoyed the discussion of Numenera back a couple of weeks ago that I thought I might do well to do some high-level overviews of other tabletop RPG systems that I've played. Given the sheer domination that D&D 5e has in the marketplace, and how much I really enjoy exploring other ways to approach this hobby that you and I share in common, you must at least have a passing interest, because I don't think you'd be even hearing these words otherwise. Talking about systems even slightly outside the mainstream of tabletop RPG culture could be a helpful thing for those looking to expand their horizons. So, if you're looking for a new tabletop RPG, or even just system curious, I've got an easy one for you today. Let's talk about Pathfinder 1st Edition, colloquially and affectionately called D&D 3.75. Quite possibly the tabletop RPG with the largest sheer volume of rules, systems, character options, and splat books available on the market today. But Pathfinder isn't exactly outside the mainstream, I hear someone cry from the back, from the table labeled, we've been playing these games for 20 years. That is true, dear listener. But one of the things that I have recently come to understand is that there are a lot of people who have come into the hobby very recently, mostly through the sudden surge of interest in D&D 5e. They may not know Pathfinder beyond its name and reputation for being an opaque cliff of a game which requires a degree in game science and or mathematics to begin to comprehend. I have become intimately familiar with Pathfinder 1st Edition over the past three years or so, playing it once a week, almost like clockwork, for all of that time. I am not in the GM's chair for these games, but my proclivity for systems and my near-constant desire to understand the game means that I've spent a lot of time delving its rules, searching for clarity in them, and working with the GM of those games to make sure we're applying them consistently. It's a thing he likes to do too, and so we get along in that regard. I'm not rules-lawyering him to death, at least, I don't think I am. Today, let's talk about Paizo's masterpiece of game design, taking on support for the Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 ruleset via the Open Gaming License, developing their own setting, streamlining the rules in several ways to make them more understandable, and then simply producing a truckload of content, options, and optional rules to satisfy almost any palette for gaming. The one place that Pathfinder still falls down for me is that, at its core, it's still D&D. 3rd edition, as we've previously discussed, is when the DNA of the level 1-20 to march to fantasy superhero really got baked in. And that is very much pervasive throughout Pathfinder as well. It's not a game about survival, and it's not a game about stories. It's a game very much about growing into impossible power and facing off against epic threats by matching their power one for one. If you're the kind of person who likes that arc, but feels constricted by the limited options of D&D 5 for character diversity, or if you're an optimizer who really likes to find a niche 
snuggle in there real good, and blow your opposition out of the water with a perfectly tuned character build? Come on for a ride with me. I've got something amazing to show you. Although I'd very much like to use the same format for all of these game system discussions, I don't think that's quite reasonable. Each one is going to have its own strengths and weaknesses in different places. And so the emphasis on setting we used for Numenera is not, for example, always going to apply. For Pathfinder, I'm going to look first at the thing I like absolutely most about it, diversity of character options. We'll then move on to a high-level discussion of its rules, and what might seem familiar about it, and things that might seem outlandish. Finally, we'll take a quick look at the world of Galarian, its trappings, and the simply ludicrous amount of pre-established content out there for GMs, venerable and aspiring alike, to build upon. Or just take apart for their own use. So, let's get started with characters. The core of a Pathfinder character will look very familiar to anyone who's played any brand of D&D before. You have six attribute scores with bonuses attached. The progression of those bonuses was likewise fixed in 3rd edition and hasn't changed since. At every even number above 10, the bonus increases by 1. It's simple, and a damn sight better and more predictable than the bonuses used to be. Trust me. This means that 12 is plus 1, 14 is plus 2, 16 is plus 3, and so on. Easy enough. Where Pathfinder really shines for someone like me is that there is just a metric ton of options, particularly when it comes to class selections. Not only are there something like three dozen classes and variant classes, if you include some of the optional content, each one of those classes has something like another dozen, each, of archetypes attached to them. Meaning that some of the base class's core features are swapped out for things from other classes allowing you to select from a simply dizzying array of customization options that emphasize different aspects of the base concept, or mix and match other features entirely, in order to dial in exactly the feeling and flavor that you want to bring to the table. With all of these options, there is absolutely zero concern that any two characters at the same table will be very much alike, even if you had three or four of the same class. The lists are, quite frankly, pretty overwhelming, especially if you're developing a character class first. I found that it's more effective to come up with a core concept for your character and then pursue the avenues that might be plausible until you find just the one you're looking for. This is sort of difficult for me, as I prefer to make characters that allow me to try different game approaches, but to do that you've really got to understand the system first. If you're going to try getting started in Pathfinder, definitely think about who your character is first, and then pursue the mechanics that will get you to where you want to be. And honestly, this is probably going to sound scary, but the class and archetype options are kind of just the beginning. Not only can you stack some archetypes, as long as the features replaced don't conflict, to really get close, then there's a whole new layer past that. That layer is maybe the one that I hear the most complaints about when I've talked to folks about the D&D 3 subfamily. Feats. See, every couple of levels, and more often for certain character types, every Pathfinder character gains a new feat. 
It's sort of almost a special ability, or a stunt, or something that further modifies your character's abilities and focus. There are hundreds of feats available, and some of them are incredibly useful. Some of them are almost standard and necessary selections for certain character types, kind of like must-haves. And some of them are utterly useless. And when you first start playing the game, you'll have no idea which ones are which, unless you spend an inordinate amount of time reading up on the system beforehand, or have an expert to guide you without trying to force you into an optimized path of utterly perfect choice. It is possible to play Pathfinder as a mathematical optimization challenge. It's almost a sub-game or metagame of its own. Searching for the perfect combination of class and archetype and feats is sort of like theorycrafting for World of Warcraft. It's gaming with spreadsheets. Due to the sheer number of options available, though, and the fact that I'm a more story-inclined person for my tabletop experiences rather than a math-inclined one, I think the cool thing about Pathfinder is to play it sort of fast and loose. If your group is made up of people like-minded, and everyone is selecting options for flavor or because they seem cool, and you're willing to allow the use of the retraining rules to replace something that really didn't work the way you thought, you can really develop your characters into unique individuals who do cool things, just by virtue of the fact that there are so many combinations. For example, out of sheer curiosity alone, and a recent rewatch of Rurouni Kenshin, I wanted to know if it was possible to create the Anime Sword Specialist. Specifically, I wanted to know if it was possible to recreate the Anime Slash. For those not in the know, there's a trope in action-adventure anime where two sword specialists attack one another at the same time, clash in midair, and land with their backs facing one another. One of them then flinches while the other stands strong, untouched showing who won and lost the bout. I wanted to see if I could create a level 10 character who could do just that. Draw their blade, attack, land on the other side of their opponent, untouched, while their opponent either outright died, or at least suffered a massive blow. Other requirements. This character had to be viable in combat otherwise, but had to have some sort of feature that would improve their armor class without wearing armor. I needed some kind of monk-style armor class feature, because Kenshin fights in just his kimono. His style is all about impossible speed and striking like a lightning bolt. He doesn't get hit because he moves fast, not because he's relying on being encased in metal armor. The short answer is, I did it. By using the samurai class and affixing the warrior-poet archetype, and carefully selecting class features and feats, I built a character who can declare one target their intended victim, move a daunting 40 feet in a straight line, faint to put the target off guard, and then deal a simply staggering amount of damage to that target, all in a single turn. With the right selection of options, I was able to create a viable character who could move and strike, like Kenshin, all using rules readily available for class and archetype. I've also created a very basic heavy armor fighter, who is just, very simply, a longsword specialist. This other build, mostly one for flavor, takes every possible opportunity to become a master of this one particular weapon. It's not quite as striking, ha, a build as the warrior poet samurai, though. The problem can arise, though, if you've got one person optimizing while everyone else is taking it easy. The experience can quickly become wildly unbalanced, where one PC is contributing much more, 
especially in fights. D&D, and by extension Pathfinder, features a lot of fighting. Pathfinder is a really intense battle warfare simulator, so pretty much all of the options available trend that way. There's some room for other aspects of gameplay, the second highest being exploration by a large margin, and due to its venerable age, Pathfinder even features rules for large-scale battles and defending fortifications and building settlements and all kinds of things. Not all of these rules are perfect, but there are rules for just about anything you could possibly want to do in the fantasy superhero genre. The core mechanic of Pathfinder would feel familiar to anyone who's played D&D. Like all of them since original D&D, it's all about modifying a d20 roll and letting fly, hoping for that sweet, sweet natural 20. There is, however, perhaps, as you'd expect given the discussion about characters, a lot of nuance that goes into it. Pathfinder is basically my running definition of the simulationist RPG. There are so many factors which go into each and every role, but it ends up that the results are very believable, because there are so many factors taken into account. Now, the trick to this is that, unless you're paying very close attention, or don't care so much, you're probably going to overlook an ability, advantage, or disadvantage that your character has in the moment. That's okay. As long as you keep an eye on your sheet and focus on the things most important to your character, even if you miss something during one turn, you'll get better at the game and remember next time. One of my current actual play characters is a Knife Master archetype rogue, giving him extra bonuses when using knives and daggers, and so there's quite a bit that goes into his attacks. It took me a while to get into the swing of it, but now I quite enjoy the heavy tactical focus that goes in on making sure my rogue is hitting as hard as he can be. Pathfinder's rules get very dialed in. Because the game has been on the market for so long, and due to its basis in D&D 3.5, which was already pretty crunchy to begin with, there are rules for just about any way you want your character to interact with the world. Particularly in combat, there are rules for knocking your foes back, knocking them down, temporarily inconveniencing them, grabbing and holding, just all kinds of possibilities. It has feats available that let you take a weapon and do different types of damage with it. For example, using a sword with its blade, slashing damage, with just its point, piercing damage, and turning it over and using the hilt as a club, bludgeoning damage, is covered by the weapon versatility feat. There are just rules upon rules. If you're willing to kind of roll with it, so to speak, and have someone who's good with systems or a Pathfinder specialist, whether it's the GM or a well-learned player, who knows it well enough to help with the weirder calls, the game can be a lot of fun without getting too bogged down in minutia. On top of that, there's actually tons of optional rules too. So if something isn't quite working out the way you'd like it to, you could take a look at those. Several of the classes were revised from their original drafts. They call them unchained versions, so if you're starting fresh, you probably want to include those. The original draft of the Summoner class was, to put it lightly, a little broken, for example. Much like D&D, Pathfinder characters get crazy powerful pretty quickly. The early levels are the most dangerous, but unless you're making stupid mistakes, like I have several times, as long as you stick to what your character is good at, they're not going to be in a ton of danger after level 6 or so. 
They get really good at what they do, especially because Pathfinder has none of the limited dice math ranges of D&D 5. Skill check results of 40 to 50 are not unheard of as you cross into 10th and 11th level. That Knife Master Rogue I mentioned earlier had just abysmal core stat rolls when I originally created him. Just awful. Two scores below 10, in fact. Still, though, I was actually able to blunt that pretty quickly, because after just a few levels, the Rogue class nicely made up for the failings in the character. And skill became more important than the core attributes, which I have to admit was nice. I was really down on the character when I started out, but seeing how quickly that changed with regular play, it made me feel significantly better about Pathfinder compared to other editions of D&D, where bad stats can just ruin your play. At least they don't dock you XP for having sucky stats anymore. As with most things, there aren't many rules for the other aspects of gameplay. There's a decent skill list to help with social stuff, and there's some ways to modify your character in that direction, but in general, if you're not good at killing stuff in at least one or two ways, you're going to be a lot less useful to your group in a standard Pathfinder game. So, rules. And lots of them. If that's your thing, Pathfinder is so for you. If not as much, as long as you're playing with someone who knows the system, then you're still good to play some Pathfinder. If you're all new to the RPG scene, well, maybe start with something to get the idea down, and then see if what you want is a really intense combat simulation. Before we wind down here, let's take a quick look at Galarian, the default setting of Pathfinder, and a pretty interesting world overall. Galarian is kind of like the Forgotten Realms, if you took out the years upon years of development that has turned Toril into a convoluted mess of timelines and junctures. It's a pretty standard D&D fantasy setting, which is a very specific subtype of fantasy, where all of the default species and a bunch of other ones all exist together without having annihilated one another in the process. There's realms and countries that allow characters of all the types you can think of of humanity, and while they do suffer from demi-human stereotyping, I've seen worse. For some reason, the Pantheon of Gods is actually one of my favorites. I find them more interesting and flavorful than some of the others, and I'm not quite sure why. My very first Pathfinder character, only a few years ago, was a tiefling warpriest of Sarenrae, as I've mentioned previously. And on the whole, I just like the Pathfinder Gods a bit better. I'm not even sure why and whether I can explain that. The amount of content available for Galarian is pretty amazing, too. Even though Rise of the Rune Lords, one of the first Pathfinder modules ever released, has been on the market for better than a decade, it's still getting play, right now. Kingmaker, another famous one, has a pretty high-profile CRPG created out of it, and it's pretty decent, especially if you play it turn-based. Galarian's a rich setting with a lot of possibilities, and I actually think that it's my favorite stock D&D setting. Planescape is still my favorite of all of them, and Kryn from Dragonlance close behind. But I find Kryn a little more specific for storytelling, and a little less so for drop-in gaming. Character options? Lots. Rules? Exhaustive. Default setting? Pretty good. On the whole, I've gained a significant amount of respect for Pathfinder over the last few years of playing it weekly with a solid group. We find it mostly fun, occasionally arcane, and once in a while outright frustrating. It still suffers from the high power problem I have with modern D&D type games, but that's part and parcel of it. Personally, if I were going to run it, I would slap it with the Epic 6 mod, 
and limit everyone to a max of 6th level. That is, if I could find a group to go along with that. The sheer number of options available is overwhelming, but giving so much room for character individuality without relying only on narrative differences in such a rules-heavy game gives Pathfinder a ton of points in my mind. It is by no means for everyone, and would serve best for tactical players who like the arc of D&D, but are frustrated by a limitation of character diversity, and may be ticked off that the bounded accuracy, read math limitations, of 5th edition cause their characters, even high-level ones, to fail a lot more often than they reasonably should. If that describes you, go check out Pathfinder 1st Edition. My recommendation, start with the core rulebook, swap out the rogue and barbarian for their unchained versions, if the players at the table want to use them, and go to town. If you've got other enterprising players who want to try something weirder, as long as it's official content and not homebrewed, go for it. Make sure you tell your players not to worry about optimizing, at least for the initial trial run. You'll know if it's for you, if the feel is right, pretty quickly. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, on Podchaser, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, the interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm, all by Vince Fept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash vincefept, V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music by Andre Sitkov and Andy Ray. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. You cannot hide from danger. Death floats on the air, creeps through the window, comes with the handshake of a stranger. If we stop living because we fear death, then we have already died. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.